0: Hearing the thunder coming up from the valley or down from the mountains makes me think of the way the Dhamma is like thunder. But the sound of the Dhamma, who is the real thunder, is the way that it turns us upside down. We think we've heard, we think we've seen We think we've known and understood everything the way it truly is, and then one day we're meditating in complete silence, and we have an insight, and it turns us upside down, and we see that what we've been looking at, we haven't really seen. What we've been hearing, we haven't really heard. What we thought we knew, we didn't really understand. So this teaching is subtle and profound, and it's like the thunder that comes up the valley or down from the mountain. When we stop to listen to it, it's like we've heard it for the first time, because we're giving it our full attention. And we're not frightened. We're not trying to hide from it. We're not afraid of getting wet. We're just listening. And the Dhamma has this power. It teaches us how to stop and listen, how to stop and understand, how to stop and taste the present moment, how to breathe, how to be consciously alive. And this is the power of the Dhamma. It's like silent thunder. What is sound It's that sudden realization of things, of the heart, of the breath, of the mind, exactly as it is and not as we believed it to be through the filter of conceptual opinion, conditioning, other people's opinion, or our preconceived notion of things, but just through really being fully present in the moment, available to see the truth of things, the impermanence, the suffering, and the emptiness of things. So when we come to the teachings, if we come empty, this is a, a noble quality. How do we come empty when we're so full of worldly things, worldly uh, impulses, our social conditioning, our cultural conditioning, our psychological conditioning, our genetic, physical, environmental, etc. conditioning? How do we come empty to the present moment? And we come empty by learning, training, to empty the mind. That's what we're doing here. Breathing in, I know, I breathe in. Breathing out, I know, I breathe out. This breathing and and paying attention and knowing the breath. What is the breath? and not demanding anything else from whatever we're experiencing other than what it has to offer. This is pretty easy to do for a moment, but it's very difficult to sustain. And right now in the world we're facing on a larger scale the challenge of sustaining life and sustaining our way of living our lifestyle in a way that we've known it for a long time because things are happening in the world far beyond our control and far beyond our means of ever governing or guiding or navigating so it some frightening things too but we can always come back to a place of trusting the moment and trusting what we can know about our present experience without attaching to any particular result other than the purity of our intention the purity of our attention and the purity of our being These are very important ways of facing experience. And as monastics, our training is based on a commitment that we have undertaken wherever we are and whatever we're doing to direct our attention and our intention towards knowing things for what they really are and giving ourselves to that training fully, not distractibly. So this is what the Buddha offered as our guide two and a half millennia and more ago. And we pick up this teaching in different ways according to our means and abilities and commitments. Some of us have families, work responsibilities, and so forth. But for those of us that are training on this path day in, day out, it's pretty clear that we have to do 100 200%, turning ourselves upside down, changing from the inside out, is putting down all that we've learned and reteaching ourselves our own purity. We don't have to add anything. We have more to remove the obstacles that we've learned, that we've taken on board, which are not listening, not paying attention, not purifying intention. So, when we walk with our alms bowls, as we've been doing recently, the way of walking with our alms bowl is the bowl is empty. And we go and stand in the market and people see us and they don't know what we are. So they come and ask, what are you doing? One woman came and said, what's that costume you're wearing? And we explained that it's not a costume. But of course, everyone is wearing a costume. But to everyone else, this looks like a costume. We're all dressed according to certain conventions. Nowadays, most anything goes. Red <laughs> hair, blue hair, no hair. Balkans. But for us this is a, it's an ancient way of being and we're, we're trying to emulate the Buddha so we're wearing the very style of robe that he wore. And we have our main robes and pretty much robes bowl and a few accessories to keep warm. Simple, very simple. And the bowl is empty, and every day somebody fills it. So we've determined to, once we go to the market, and have strangers fill our bowl. And these are not Buddhists that are filling our bowls. They're just people that see us standing there, and they're curious, and they usually try to put money in the bowl. And we'd say, no, we don't. Take money. Well, what do you take? Food. So that strikes a chord. Because that's not what our society promotes. People are out to get money, and greed is really what runs the world. But I wouldn't say hundred percent. There's a lot more in the world than greed. It's a pretty big force. So the kindness in people is touched. The generosity is suddenly woken up. And it's just, just there. It's very present. But to, to see people standing, not receiving money, not being greedy for money, but just wanting food, is so unusual. And I think the mother where well, the father and everyone suddenly wakes up and they want to feed us. <laughs> okay. So they go away and little lady, they seem to reappear with some amazing offering. Whatever's on sale in the market starts to appear in our bowls like some onions or scones, muffins, cookies, jar of honey. One time I got a bouquet of flowers. Not food, but it's food for the heart. And of course all these things are sticking out of the bowl and eventually we have to empty them out to make room for other offerings. But there is something really magical about emptying oneself in a very intentional way. Now we give up the world, we shave our heads, we wear a robe, we commit to a life of renunciation, and our world gets full of kindness, time and again, time and again, time and again. How does that work? It's miraculous. I can't explain it to you, but I can only testify that this is how I've been living for 30 years. We don't go to the market every day, but we sit at the hermitage, and people come and bring food. If they don't bring food, we have food that they have brought, and there's usually somebody at the hermitage who can offer the food and prepare it, So that we can eat. So it's because there is so much kindness in this world, there is so much generosity and goodness, and it just takes that commitment to trusting that that brings it to life in people. It really does. I'm sure that you see that in your own lives when you've been maybe down and out or at your wit's end and something happens, somebody comes along and says a kind word out of the most unexpected place or in the the most surprising way or reaches out to help. this is the other force that operates in this world which prevents it from completely blowing up. There is violence, but there's also no violence. There's greed, but there's also no greed. There's ill will, but there's also love, unconditional love. Um, and we seem to really be on the receiving end of it. There's privilege to honor. But what we have to do is walk a very fine line, and not be distracted by what the world constantly produces and sends in our direction. It's very easy to get distracted with projects, and people ask us, what do you do? And we say, well, we build monasteries, and we sew robes. And we walk for alms, and we do spiritual counseling and we create a resume so that the people who, who come and ask and they want to know what do you do, we can give them a list of what we do. But actually, the heart of the Buddha's teaching and the heart from which this thread and this fount, this thunder of kindness, originates, is the non-doing. And it's the ability to renounce that which identifies with doing, that ego, that sense of a self of somebody who is kind, or I'm a somebody who does good deeds. But just abiding in one's purity and honoring the life of virtue, restraint, composure, mental cultivation, and peace, calmness, and serenity of mind, and growing in wisdom, this in itself creates such a force for goodness Then there's no need for us to be a person who is good. It's just to hold to that which is true whole tooth with all our hearts and stay one-pointed in that. And that requires a commitment to frame our hearts, frame our hearts from the poisons of the mind and the poisons, the chileses of the mind, which are not really from the nature of mind, but they are what we learn by not giving ourselves fully to the tree, the mind becomes infiltrated, impacted by the poisons of the world. That's where greed, hatred, and delusion have their footing. So it's through understanding how to develop the truth within us that we can take refuge in that which is true. It's not by becoming popular or doing things the way the world believes that we will develop truth or develop goodness. But it's by committing ourselves to that which is at the root of non-greed, non-hatred and non-delusion. And this is the mind that can know emptiness that can know of true freedom from worldly aims and values, from worldly busyness and the an activity, the mind that can stop within itself, truly stop and be completely silent, the silence that is like thunder. So I thought I would offer that to you for your reflection.